The following is a presentation of the Radio Misfits Podcast Network. Hi, and welcome to The Bike Goes On. My name is Brian Casey, and I'm here with my friend, Sondra Bernstein. And we thought we'd uh, have a little chat about holiday food today and what some of our favorite foods that we choose to make around the holidays or eat or eat if uh if you're not a cook yourself you're not making it right and and i guess we can talk about religion sort of plays a part in what we're eating around the holidays right true um um when you're talking about passover or hanukkah it's probably a lot a lot of different food than i'm eating potato pancakes delicious potato pancakes you know there's a whole thing about that because some people are real traditionalists some people eat them with sour cream some people eat them with applesauce right and some people you know so there's been like fights over the table about <laughs> at your house eat. are you at, talking about I, i've always, i'm usually a guest at those places because okay. i haven't i don't make potato latkes that much but truly people are and there's a lot of foods like that i make uh, potato pancakes probably at least once a week are you kidding no well because um, they're gluten-free b- the way that uh, maria and i make them you know i think when i first started making them you bought the the box Oh, um, so in the market and <laughs> that's what we thought we had to do what was it what is it even it's like dehydrated, dehydrated potatoes freeze and, frozen and you it. add like yeah. water or egg or something to it yeah um, but once i learned the trick of making them using the potato starch and my wife has celiac disease so she's gluten-free so um i can't put any flour into the potato pancakes so what i do is great and i do apple and onion too Oh, in, in the whole mix. In the whole mix. Because usually my daughter has an apple that she'll have a third of or a half of. And so I think I just started doing it because I, I saw it sitting there going to waste on the top shelf in the refrigerator and thought, I'm just going to grate that thing right in there. And there so, you go. Waste no food. Right. And a lot of times you have a, an onion that you know, you've used a little bit of. So I started doing the onion and the onion has a lot of water to it. So I usually do that one first and then grate the apple and then do the potato. And I don't even skin the potato. I don't no. peel the potato. I just no. grate texture. that thing. Yep. And into a colander inside of a mixing bowl. And then get all that what? potato what? stuff in there. And then I just start squeezing and get all of the moisture out into the bowl. And so you have a, an inch or two of liquid in the bottom of the bowl. And now if you set that aside and just let it sit there for five minutes, all that potato starch sits down at the bottom and it, it literally looks like a white, almost like glue, like, like this whey. white paste. And mm-hmm. so all you do is tip the bowl and the water runs right out of the bowl and all of that stays. And then you just put the potatoes, the grated potatoes back in and mix it in with that starch. And then I'll put one egg. Sometimes I use a, just a yolk or a white and sometimes I just throw a whole egg in there um, and mix that up. And, and that's that's the best breakfast that my wife could ever have. And if you do that with a fried egg or a poached egg, she doesn't put anything on it. No, wow. no. I'll put ketchup. I'll put sour right. cream. I'll put applesauce, <laughs> um, barbecue sauce. But yeah. I'm Irish, so for me, potatoes are a staple. Right. I don't right. care how I get them, how mashed or fried. Or, right. Um, but yeah, that's not a holiday food for us. That's just a regular. It's a regular food. Well, latkes are definitely a holiday food. I do remember my mom making them when we were young. I don't know. I don't remember that many holiday foods, but I do remember potato latkes. And uh, we did just have a visitor drop off some chopped liver 
And, um, you know, <laughs> every Jewish holiday, we have to have some chopped liver. And uh, where did that come from? Do you know? Um, well, you know, I'm not sure, but I would, I would guess, and I could be totally wrong. Someone can email and correct me. But I would think that the chicken livers were always a relatively inexpensive part of right. a chicken. Right. And so years and years and years handed down something easy to make. And, you know, did it start as a nosh? Uh, did it start in a deli? I don't think so. No. But um, and and again, people make their you know chicken liver pate or mousse or whatever. And now, you know, duck liver mousse or you know they could be found on really expensive menus in a totally different fashion. And that's always the case, isn't it? The, yes. the peasant food turns around and becomes the upper crust. Exactly. Uh, but being so close to Petaluma, I mean, we're in Sonoma County. Petaluma was the chicken and egg capital of the world. Absolutely. And it was a lot of uh, Russian Jews exactly. um, that had the um, the chicken farm. The so farms. that makes sense that they yeah. have uh, all those chicken livers. And yeah. I, I mean, what I do most people do livers. with those chicken livers when they get a chicken at the store and it's got that little, that little bag on the inside? That, and sometimes you forget... Right. And, uh, really? Have and you ever you heard those it? stories? Yeah, no. But um, <laughs> do people cook the bag oh, in yeah. the chicken, I, and then what happens? I will, ad- I will admit to doing that one time. Well, what wanting... happened? Was the plastic all over? Did it's it melt? It's not plastic now. Well, I don't know what. You're right. They used to do plastic. You're right. Now they do. Uh, it's and like I'm a sh- tea bag type paper. Right. It's some sort of paper that yeah. um, you know that, that it doesn't can really disintegrate. And it's moist, and so I don't think it burns. But you're right; I think it was plastic the first time I did that. Yeah. And you know, if you you just don't reach in there and, and feel inside the cavity, or a lot of people will put lemon or rosemary right. or whatever they right. do. But and if you don't do that, um, but yeah, most people wonder what to do with that little right. goodie bag that's in there. And I think, I think some it, people feed it to their cats. Maybe. Hopefully, I hope they cook it first, but maybe um, not. Yeah, I don't know. My cat yeah. wouldn't care. Your cat wouldn't care. Would, oh, well, no. I guess no. There's cat eats rats creatures. and mice yeah. and possum and yeah. raccoon, whatever you can well, find that's outside. Real food, right? <laughs> right. <laughs> um, yeah, I just, I mean, the holiday is such a good time. It brings out, um, you know, people's favorite foods. You like think of things. I mean, we're in the process of making. Oh, I think we have to make. Oh man, I want to say we have about we have a couple hundred vendor gifts that we're doing and this year right. we're doing a very simple sugar butter cookie in packs of 24 and 36. So I don't even know how many do- that's like 600 dozen. You know, about cookies that we're going to that we've started already making the dough and then you cut them. Um but it's it I did this cookie because it was something that really reminded me of being with my family, kind of safe, yeah. uh, comfort. Abby does that. So my daughter's 10. She does Christmas cookies at auntie's house. And then Aww. she does Christmas cookies at our house. There's a certain type that the family likes and they decorate them as either trees or, you know, they mm-hmm. do all the different colored frostings. And she just likes to eat the dough. Right. Of <laughs> Um, and that my wife's family is, you know, they've got a good mix of, you know, when you got, when you get the in-laws and all the different families start marrying each other, you get a nice little rounded buffet fusion. Um, and we, we used to do the, you know, the big turkey or the ham or the roast beef, but, um, we do it at grandma and grandpa's house and now they're in, they're in their eighties now. So, and grandma would not let us do anything. She always she wanted to be in thing. the kitchen and monitoring the, the situation. And, and, and so at first it was, okay, how do we distract grandma 
to get her out of the kitchen because we just wanted to sit down and, and relax and enjoy the food. But now what we do is we just all bring dishes that are pre-made. And so it becomes like a buffet. We don't cook anything right. there. Um, right. And my, I was telling you earlier, my favorite dish from my wife's family is the most horrible thing on the planet for you. Um, <laughs> but I dare you to do this. If you, if you have a microwave oven and just get a big mixing bowl and, and you can buy Velveeta cheese at the store, which I didn't know that. I, really? I, Where did you think it came from? I don't. I don't. <laughs> An animal? Well, I'd never used Velveeta before. I didn't know why you would use Velveeta, like um, maybe to make a like a bologna sandwich with a slice of Velveeta or yeah, something. Listen, is the only they thing. use Velveeta in Philly on some of those cheesesteaks, and you can look in the kitchen and see the Velveeta that not the so, not the really soft, but the, right. the the bricks. Well, that's because it melts really well, right? Right. And it doesn't because it's it doesn't mostly separate, oil, I think. But it doesn't separate like the fat doesn't separate the same way like a right. really good piece of cheese would. Well, yeah. Anyone that's done fondue, which um, I know you've done fondue, <laughs> right. it's it's not just throw some cheese in a pot and turn right. the turn the um, burner on because right. that'll get messy. <laughs> right. <laughs> um, but if 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 you take the block of Velveeta and a block of cream cheese, and then a jar of salsa, it doesn't really matter what kind of salsa, just kind of medium hot, and just put it all in the bowl, stick it in the microwave for five minutes, and it bubbles all together, and you get the big corn chips, the scoops. Uh. You sit down next to that bowl with a bag of scoops. I, I cannot You will do not that. move. No, I, I cannot do that, because if I had one, I would have to eat the whole bag. That's pretty much what yeah. I do. Oh my God! Well yeah. then, but I only get it at that Christmas. one time. Is, are you going to have it this year? I don't think so. I'll be I'll be working. So now that okay. I'm back at a at a hotel, you know, when yeah. I was working for you, I always had Thanksgiving had off at least. That was my off, one, day. one day. And then, off, well, you're, and you're always closed for Christmas too. Right. So I was always guaranteed to have Thanksgiving and Christmas off, right. which the family loved because they weren't used to seeing me on the holidays. Um, right. But now I'm back at the hotel, so. Christmas will yeah, have the and if you're on the buffet. bottom, if you're on the bottom of the totem hole, you probably the totem hole, the totem hole. <laughs> <laughs> I am not on the bottom of the totem hole. Well, meaning last hired, first worker at holidays. I'm not the highest in seniority for sure, and and actually, <laughs> it doesn't hole. seniority doesn't matter when it comes to the holidays. Everybody works. And every oh well, you need all hands on right. deck. Right, we do yeah. a huge Christmas buffet, Thanksgiving buffet, Mother's Day buffet, where it's and when we went crazy this this year for the Thanksgiving one with, I mean, just huge pieces of meat hanging and fish buffet, oh, and caviar buffet, and dessert buffet. I need to come to one buffet. of those buffets sometime. We'd love to have you. If, yeah, I mean, you can. Yeah, you can somehow eat for two or three hours people will sit at their tables really? for two or three hours and really turn pace the tables? it out you know you give them a little look every now and then but what are you <laughs> gonna say it's the holidays i always right. i always tell i know you know that's usually the pre-shift meeting on holidays is whatever people want just give it right to them. well um, it's interesting like in on our thanksgiving books you know years we would really pace everybody make sure they had two two and a half three three and a half hours depending the size of the party and we've realized that some of those times have actually really shrunk. Right. Not because we've wanted them, you know, we don't need to do more covers and jam more people in, but people sometimes they want to get in and out of that meal. And those family dynamics um, during the holidays 
are not always fun to witness in a restaurant. Yeah. Yeah. Especially when you throw alcohol in the mix sometimes. Exactly. It can be, I've, I've yeah. seen some really strange things yeah. around the holidays. Yeah. Um, yeah. But families like that too. Don't, haven't you ever been to your family's house or they've been to your house and you have those certain people that like to show up early and like to help you cook and they exactly. stay late and they help you clean right. up. But then there's those people. They're in and out. They show up and they there's another room uh, at your house that has the the Football. game on yeah and they bring their own beer right and they show up <laughs> we're or, learning a lot about your family right now or, or they drink your really good wine <laughs> and fill it right up to the top of that mm-hmm. glass and then mm-hmm. go watch the game and then they know when the food's ready they'll come get a plate and go in there and uh, and, and yeah. then come out and then uh, they're gone tradition. after 45 minutes yeah, um, tradition. yeah and that's what it is some yeah. some people are um really social around the holidays and some people it's not their thing yeah we, um, you know, my mom's coming to visit for a couple weeks and nice. um, the restaurant's closed on Christmas. And I think when she's here on Christmas, we usually have crap. You know, we get, you know, I kind of go through our fish purveyor and get sometimes four, five, six. It depends if someone's going to show up. And we just put newspaper down or brown bags down on the table and I love um, dill pickles yeah. with and like cubes of cheddar. Um, I don't know why. Wait, are you talking about deep frying them, or no, are you just talking no, about just eating cold, them cold? Cold, delicious. Um, but like I, you know, you can have when you're picking at that and your hands are getting so dirty. There's not that many things that like you don't want to grab your fork and then start. Right. So it's like you know, dill pickle spears like cut something and then cuba cheese i don't know it's 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 kind of a tradition yeah no that's interesting i can see that the the cucumber has that vinegary feel to it so it's got you're adding some acidity and the cheese is adding some fat exactly little bubbles drink some champagne i just don't like doing any work for my food i i know that i would never go i would never go to a restaurant and order crab or lobster if if they gave me like a cracker thing you're kidding me oh you have missed so many phenomenal meals in your life that much money to do work oh my god i mean well in philadelphia i mean donardo's crabs oh my god the best blue crabs and like you have to you have to work for it and actually i think it's like the best diet food because you have to slow i actually am a relatively fast eater i don't know why but i am i have friends that eat really slow and i'm always done like they're only a third of the way and I'm done and right. I'm sitting there waiting. And, but I think crab and lobster, like shrimp, like boy, peel and boil shrimp, those foods make you slow, artichokes make you slow down. You have to right. work for it. So, I mean, for me, I need more of those foods. You're right. And I, and I actually, I have a really fond memory of a party that you hosted for the managers of the girl in the fig and estate. And we put together a huge long table huge. at estate. I remember this. Did just, you, did you work for your food that night? I did. And you, you know, maybe what was I probably different, have pictures of that. I, that would be cool. Uh, I'd look much thinner then, <laughs> for sure. I was much uh, younger then. <laughs> um, but, but I, I think what was different is it was sort of the social thing. You're right. There was a, there was a table that had 20 something people. And when you just take pots and dump all that food out and you're all sort of doing it together and all your hands are 
are wet and slippery and exactly. uh, so maybe it's maybe in a social yeah, thing maybe i'm just once, thinking maybe once a year you could get down and dirty well i'm just thinking going out to dinner if i'm dressed well, not up fancy and you gotta go to like you know places that are there's a place in florida when my grandparents lived in florida i don't crab claw Mm-hmm. Was it the Crab Claw or was that in St. Michael's? I'm not sure, but like that was another place where you went in, you waited in line. What about stone crabs? Have you ever had Joe's stone crabs? No. Oh my God. Well, the shells are so beautiful, you almost don't want to crack them. And they're wow. ridiculously expensive. I love when my brother sends me like a whole thing of well, stone Was there crabs. a certain time of year for those? Um, I know I should know the answer to that, but Joe's Stone Crabs is in business all year round. Okay. I don't think they shut down at any time. Okay. You know, they must be farmed. I don't, I'm thinking they must partially be farmed. Right. But yeah. I don't know. Hmm. Now, soft shell crabs, I can wrap my head oh, around. Oh, soft shell crabs. <laughs> I think we only have soft shell crabs in the restaurant for like one week anymore. Price is kind of crazy. Right. Um, not everybody, you know, it's funny because I, in Maryland, you would get a lot of soft shell crabs in Philly. I had soft shell crabs, blue crabs on the East coast. When I came to California and saw my first Dungeness crab, I was like, what is that? It was the biggest crustacean I think I'd ever seen. And I was like, how can this even, and there were years that I was like Dungeness blue crabs, you know, and had a friend who had a restaurant, St. Michael's and I would get a shipment of blue crabs like once a year ended years ago but amazing the flavor is amazing but it's like eating different apples you know they all have different flavors right well i have a friend that lives in maine sarah and uh rich live in maine so they've always had the lobster places where they'll just go drive down and you sit outside and they just have the tablecloth you know the the cheap wipe off tablecloth right. on the picnic tables outside and, and where do they live in maine do you recall um, buckfield is where sarah was raised she actually oh. nannied for the bushes at uh, kennebuckport oh. so she oh, wow. just yeah she sent me a post yeah. the other day that had oh. some pictures of her at the bush compound oh. um nanny and there are quite some activity going yeah. around this well month. and it was yeah. weird because they're super left-wing liberals and oh. um, for her at i think she was 14 when she took that job um, so somebody knew somebody. I, I guess it's better to have a hen in the, right. a, 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 what is it? A fox in the hen, hen house. house. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe that's what her mom was thinking. I don't know. That's pretty Just funny. strange that she would send her there yeah. for her summer job. But um, yeah, I have friends that are moving that just bought a house in Booth Bay um, and they're renovating their house before they move. I think they're going to be really moved in in the next few weeks. So I think they're going to really, you know, have an adjustment, you know, West Coast, East Coast seafood. Sure. Yeah, yeah. but that, not a bad adjustment, Not though. a bad adjustment. <laughs> not not bad at all. No, just the muscles, my The muscles, my favorite Prince Edward Island muscles are right up there. Yeah. Well, we digress from holiday food. Um, oh, but, I know, quickly. Yeah. Well, and, and I also wanted to talk to you a little bit about gluten-free because and talking about the potato pancakes and my wife, and she just had a beautiful meal at your restaurant yesterday, came home. She was with one of her colleagues from work and said that she, I know we've got, um, we have the landscapers today. Well, you got a garden out yeah. there and sometimes have they have a to do stuff. A farm. <laughs> but she said she it sounds had like a, they're tearing the whole thing down no. <laughs> or trees. 
I yeah. I think they just have one of those loud yeah. blowers. They're just oh, trying to make it look pretty for yeah. you out there. Thank you. Um, so my wife said that she, you had some really nice gluten-free options at the restaurant. And it's just become a thing for me, you know, working in... I don't know if people know this. If you work at a, a nicer restaurant or, or in a hotel, that when you are seated at a table, um, a lot of times the server gets what's called a chit, and it'll have right. a little piece of paper that has your last name, the amount of people in your party, and then the most important things are any food allergies, allergies. or special occasions. So you know it's a birthday, and you know that one person is vegan or they're gluten free, and they're it highly used to, allergic to nuts. right, and it used to just be. You're right, nut allergy, nut or it was um, um, vegetarian, but now it's overwhelmingly oh, yeah. Truly. Um, a lot of a vegans list. and then a lot of gluten-free stuff. And so what we did for our tasting menu is just basically made it a gluten-free tasting menu. And that way we didn't have to do exactly. a lot of tweaking to the menu. But you even had a... I did that. Remember the pop-up that I did all gluten-free? We had a... You're right. It, wasn't Campo it a winemaker dinner? It and was Campo Vida. you said, I'm just going to do it gluten-free. Yeah. I'm not going to say anything. Yeah. And then at the end, right. you Announced got on the it. mic and said, did anyone notice anything about the meal tonight? I got one email from someone that was upset. Seriously. And I'm like, why did you get upset? You didn't even know until I told you you were happy before. Were they upset that they didn't get any bread? Is that uh, or I Maybe. Maybe, but I don't think they would have noticed if I hadn't said anything. Well, the rest of us had a very good time, yeah, and my wife delicious. appreciated it very I much. Did. So you know what? Mm, screw yeah. that. <laughs> <laughs> but, but what have you but, done at the restaurant in terms of gluten-free? Do you find that it's completely changed the way that you went about your prep process for things like soy sauce? No. Um, we Worcestershire. Still, yeah, actually, I think, well, we do have soy sauce still in our steak frites marinade mm -hmm. but i'm not sure if they are i should find this out if they are using a gluten-free soy which doesn't really make sense to me because you start a tamari or right. something that doesn't have that gluten yeah. but we are way more um accommodating than we've ever been yeah. and we've added a few things that are gluten and in the mise en place which is what we call our notes that we give to our staff so they know every single ingredient, every single dish. Yeah, down we, to salt and pepper. You guys do a great job pepper. of that. Yeah. And we mark on it now everything that is that is gluten-free. And if it's not gluten-free, what we would do to make it gluten-free. Right. And so that, you know, that information was never really on, you know, our things, I would say, eight years ago. But I think slowly, slowly, maybe five years ago. But we've been adding it. We've yeah. been really making it important. Our pancakes, we do gluten-free pancakes only on Sunday. I don't think we have them on Saturday, but on Sunday brunch. They are so delicious. They are fluffy and light. And we have had a lot of people that are gluten-free and go, oh, my God, these are so good. Now, we use a mix that is commercially available. Yeah. And I don't know what else we do to them. I'm sure we do something different, but they are delicious. Yeah. And I don't, I don't think you can tell. Like, I'm not gluten-free, and, I, you know, I can't tell one way or the other. Yeah, Maria, my wife, at first, when, <clears throat> when she was eating gluten-free, she she tried some of the substitute things where, oh, it's gluten-free bread or it's gluten-free yeah, cookies. and it tastes very good. I, I think they've come a long way since then. But um, do you think it's... I have a couple theories on why there's so many gluten-free people. One of them, I, you know, I think sometimes 
things just become a trend. Correct. And and if it works, who cares how the trend started? Exactly. If you find that you're not eating gluten and let's say you, you're not allergic to celiac or, or wheat or something, but you just find that it works for you in your life, then that's so great. So be it. Right. Um, but I think, I think it must go back to the use of corn um, or wheat and subsidies from the government for farmers. Um, Absolutely. And the way that we've tweaked our food so much talking about companies like monsanto um that have tweaked our food that it's not the same um i know that my wife went to paris last year oh she ate bread all over able to eat bread no problem and when we were in italy for our honeymoon no problem ate pizzas and things but i think it was more sort of an heirloom variety or it was a variety that wasn't um um, a gmo um, product but do you think that that's sort of the source of it? Or do you think it's just one of those fads that, um, you know, like the Atkins diet or, the, or now yeah. paleo or, you know, whatever? I think, and I mean, this is for so many of our conversations come, you know, over the next month or year or whatever, because we can really dive down into some of this. But I believe the lobbyists that work for products that are their marketing teams that need those products to sell and the other companies that want their products to sell that that it's all their marketing campaigns. And I absolutely agree that the way they work with the government, the way they make decisions, um, we needed corn and wheat. Those were, those are huge industries. You know, there's a lot of farmers that farm that and people need that. I love that we're going back to the ancient grains. And I think, I think people that get really sick from gluten, um, I think it took them a long time to figure out what, what was wrong with them. Right. I mean, that took years. And I think, so that was part of it. And then when people started realizing have celiac and gluten-free and then wanting to be healthier and stay away from gluten. But then people realized that they could lose weight, that there were less carbs. Right. And so, you know, give me a diet any week, any week, it's going to be a different diet. And even this weekend, I read an article that oh, carbs are coming back. Okay, are carbs coming back because they are no longer going to let us gain weight and so I can start going crazy on the pasta and the pizza again? <laughs> right. Or is it because it's time for a new trend? Right. And we want it, you know, and everything is so cyclical. You know, it goes, it comes. It's like fashion. It's food yeah. fashion. Yeah. Yeah, I, I, you know, I struggle with gluten myself because I don't think I'm allergic to it. I know I could probably do probably better without as much as I'm eating. But when you're around fine and when you work in restaurants too, it's hard when you have handmade pasta that's being made at the restaurant or you get these beautiful breads from Della Fattoria and, and, and then we've got the French butter. Mm. Um, I mean, how, uh, and I mean, that's interesting too, because uh, I would say a year or two ago, we changed giving every single table bread and started asking the guests, would you like some bread and butter? And I don't think it translates the way we intended to translate. We don't want to waste the bread. So if we cut the bread and bring it to your table and it sits there the whole time and you don't eat it, we throw it out or it goes to the compost. If we say, 
would you care for bread? You know, like if you're ordered a burger and another sandwich, do you really want more table bread with that? Some people do. But if you don't bring it, then you're like missing a step in service and, you know, you forgot something. I mean, a lot of guests are used to getting bread and butter on the table. So we've been trying to re-educate, but I think some, it doesn't always come out the right way. Well, you're right. I think you threw people for a loop too during the drought when you decided not to pour water automatically. And and some people just think that that's a step of service and think that you somehow missed something. But I like, I think you put little cards on the table that said, we're happy to give you water if, uh, upon request. And I think other restaurants ended up using those same cards cards too, because they thought that was good. And they probably had the same experience that you did. Yeah. yeah, so interesting. Yeah. But, you know, we do have to keep up with so much of this stuff. Um, and it does change. And I always think about in the whole country, since we get so many guests from all over the country, the world, you know, it, it's different here. Or like, th- where did things start? You know, did the, the drought start in California? But if you were here from New Jersey or you were here from Europe and you had plenty of water and you're like, what is this about? And then how long did it take to get to your area? Um, it's the communication of information is a challenging one. Yeah. Well, what I like, though, is that you're mindful. Right. So it shows that you are you recognize that there's an issue and you're taking a step to change it. I, I mean, I agree throwing away food and especially when you work those buffets oh. for the holidays, oh. people don't realize that all of those foods, you know, that's not something that we serve on our regular menu. We have a regular menu. Those are all things that are brought in just for that day. So at the end of the right. day, we get to eat whatever's left over and then take home whatever we can. But there's some things that you just can't take home right. at the end of the day. And so we end up throwing away all that food. Um, or, you know, my wife said, why don't you guys donate it to a, or- but I told her how many restaurants do you think are doing that on Thanksgiving and right. Christmas it, because everyone's having the buffet at the same time or having those meals, those big family meals. And right. so you've got to, you know, you have a lot of people that are doing and, the same thing. And that's a whole controversial mm-hmm. topic in itself. And I know that there's been a, a law that was passed, a forgiveness law that if you donate food, and again, I may not have all the details, but if you donate food, you are no longer liable to that charity or organization that you donated the food. So if they have it and someone gets sick, it's not going to come back to you. That was definitely one of the reasons that we don't donate a lot of our cooked product, food product to organizations, because once it's out of your hands, you cannot guarantee how someone's treating your food. Did it sit out? Did it get refrigerated? Was it rotated? All of these things and the thought, I mean, sometimes I don't even let guests take home something that I don't think will even make it in the car for a half hour, 40 minutes. Right. They're flounder. Yeah, they're flounder. Yeah, and they're going to go some wine tasting or something. And it's going to sit in the car in 90 degree weather. Yeah. Um, and so like finding other ways to be charitable in the food scene, um, you know, it has to just be thoughtful. And one for sure, one of the reasons we have a farm is to try and teach our staff about wastage. Speaking of the farm. 
speaking of the farm, <laughs> we're still mowing or blowing or something. Um, you know, not to be wasteful. You know, when we right. order really tight and we don't have a lot of waste, we don't have a lot of spoilage. But I can't see scraping people's plates, putting them into something to donate to, you know, a shelter or somewhere, you know. Right. And so that's usually where our waste is in things that come back. Right. Or, you know, you serve soup and you have to bring it up to temp, you know, in a certain amount of time. And, you know, I, I'm like, put in enough. Let's not, we're not reserving the soup tomorrow. Right. You know, so let's not put in... 10 gallons you know let's heat up heat what we at need a at a time right and i think those are the other lessons about food wastage that it's really easy for people to say oh there's a lot of food wastage but we could be teaching also better habits in our restaurants hotels wherever right. so that we don't end up with the wastage yeah well and there's lessons to be learned for for home too yeah, i mean exactly. I, I know sometimes you get a thing of kale and it goes three or four days he's ah we didn't use that and you're gonna throw it away i started freezing everything right and then i'll throw it into smoothies you know any any yep. fruit that i buy that is gonna yeah. is about to turn i'll just cut it up and throw it in a ziploc bag and then next time abby or maria wants a smoothie then i i don't have just, to buy right, frozen fruit I, and i know right. where the fruit came from right and you can even don't worry about the stickers you know i just learned this last week those stickers are edible by the way oh i had no idea <laughs> all of them all the of them ink the, also the fda i guess figured out that people were going to be eating those stickers <laughs> and i i know i've eaten a couple <laughs> you know sometimes it's in the middle of the night or something it's dark and in the so kitchen you, you just grab see. an apple and you start eating it and then you what is Feel that like um, you wake up in the morning and the sticker stuck to your front tooth <laughs> and your wife says honey <laughs> i'm organic <laughs> And then you can also, like, if you scan yourself, then you know your code. Oh, uh, man, that's going to happen to us one day. Well, I think people are already starting to get those tattoos. Yeah. And they're starting to get the chips. I don't know if you've seen this, but you can actually get a chip implanted. It goes right in between your thumb right, and your, for your finger. for all of your... To do everything. Now, this is really off topic. But, there, but yeah. yeah, then you can and you can then just scan things. Oh. Um, that'll be the future someday. Yeah. Food will come out of a tube. Food, yeah. You and I will be out of jobs. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> um, it, and speaking of that, actually, I uh, every year, Andrew Freeman, who's a big marketing guy in San Francisco, they have clients all over the world. He shares a webinar once a year. It's about an hour long on all the trends, you know, what the biggest trends were for the year. How did he do compared to what he said was going to be the trend? So does, oh, he actually goes back and covers he, he, the previous years. Right. Because okay, he sees good, because how good he was at making a statement. Right. And so he starts with that and then he goes, okay, these are the trends that we're going to see this year. Yeah. One of the trends was absolutely this robotic machine that had um, fresh vegetables in it that like made salads to order. And he like in a vending machine, like, or are you yeah, talking? Yeah, and it was like, you know, it, they were tubes. Like so, there were like I don't know eight eight tubes around this machine and like one had chopped carrots and one had the other. And I guess you can push buttons and say which things you want in your salad right. and it keeps it cold and then it tosses it and it's, you know, does whatever. And so he was relating it to that people want food 
24 hours a day. They want it on demand when they want it. And I just look at that and go, okay, well, if that machine can chop it, <laughs> if I could stick a piece of cucumber in there and it can chop it and skin it and do everything and still keep making the salad and make the dressing, right. that'll be one thing. Because as we know, the labor pool's just getting tighter and tighter. It's automation, be crazy. But, and it's weird, though, with automation, because don't you wonder people just have to keep then moving on to something else you can't exactly. automate an industry like the auto industry now you walk into a one of those plants and there's four guys that are running the entire thing exactly. i mean it used to be hundreds and hundreds so it's yeah I mean, it's where do des- people go it's desperate i yeah. know and we wonder why we don't have the labor when we cut out jobs and yeah. you know we start doing that and yeah well you'll be happy to know out there in podcast land that there's no real automation like that in restaurants currently no um no we're using real people real like people. Uh, like leo is leo yes. still at the girl leo is in our catering now he okay. really works on the production there he's amazing he's leo is a like, is a machine yeah, 18 years <laughs> um yeah. though one of my very favorite machines of all time since we just got on machines yeah. is the baguette machine the baguette vending machine in Malaval, near uh, the Gaillard's domain and okay. house. And when we go there, we always stop. And it's a tiny, tiny town. They can't have more than three, 400 people there. I can't imagine. But they have a baguette machine that you put your, your euros in and you push your button and out comes a warm baguette. But 24 does, hours a day how does the baguette get inside of them it's not well, baked somebody, in there right somebody well i think they par bake it and then it like fin- par bake it to maybe two minutes right, left on right. the baking and then um somebody in a delivery truck probably goes and fills these machines up they're definitely mostly cooked mostly right, baked right and um but it's like how nice you get to go to someone's house and you're bringing them a warm baguette like we're like oh we're here with the baguette (laughs) they're like no we have a real baguette (laughs) that's just a uh fake baguette well well who knows maybe it tastes great um yes talk about some of the other trends i've seen is the um fermented food are you guys i know for a while you were doing shrubs at the bar true um but I know kombucha. Have you ventured out into the kombucha no, market yet? No, we have okay. not. We have not. We we do shrubs in season. So like we're not doing shrubs, but we do our own vinegar. We've got a vinegar barrel here at the Rhone Room. Yeah. And um, but that's we're going to have some guests on that are going to be like knee deep in the fermenting business yeah. coming up. Yeah. So. When you talk about kimchi and sauerkraut, my wife is eating I kimchi love and sauerkraut. Kimchi. Yeah, um, and, yeah, and the, I know Jordan Kievelstad, who is from Kievelstad uh, Winery, obviously, but also owns Free Flow, which is a kegging company. That's one of the largest growing segments is kombucha coming out of, oh, the, of the kegs. Of and keg. so a lot of places will have kombucha on tap. Interesting. Great idea. Yeah. 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 Um, so you want you you want to yeah, wrap it up? We'll talk about um, um, possibly... You know, what do you think uh, for next year? You want to talk about food trends? What do you see happening for for 2019? You got to pick one. One trend for 2019. Yeah. Farm to table. 
Oh. <laughs> Regional farm to table. I can see that local. Yeah, I think local. Mediterranean is going to be really huge. I think we're going to see a lot more hummus and uh, tahini and certain Mediterranean dips and sauces in higher end restaurants. Yeah. Um, I, yeah, I don't know. I think again, food is really cyclical and they had some really odd trends that, you know, like food from Georgia, Russia. I I, I can't see it, but right. I'm willing to be open to it and taste things I've never tasted. Sure. You know, I, we are actually, we, I don't feel like the girl in the fig is like a trendy place. I right. feel like we may keep up, up with and be aware of what's happening. And uh, if we can make something on our own that we think is a better product than we can buy, we want to do that. But I don't, trendy comes and goes. Yeah. And well, you guys have always taken classic dishes and then put a twist on yeah, them and sort of twist. made them your own. Yeah. Um, but I've seen, I've seen in the Michelin ratings, actually, that came out recently, a lot of the restaurants that were highly rated in Michelin were... Um, we're incorporating high-end Japanese ingredients. Right. And that's sort of a trend. And I don't know if that's on the way out or on the way in, but it seems like that was definitely something no, that was happening in 2018. I hope it doesn't go anywhere. Yeah. No, no. I, and it's, like, I like right. a lot of those flavors. Well, it's a global economy now. When you, you know, it's one of, yeah, it goes, uh, when, when you have a global economy and, and you're able to order something online and it's delivered within two days, you're your palate is wide open. I mean, you've got all these different things that you can order. You can order crickets uh, online and actually do cricket flour. Um, I think that's one of the new things that we'll see as well. And I know Sandra loves crickets. One year she had an award-winning cocktail at the uh, Martini Madness that actually incorporated crickets into the cocktail. Did we well, win? Where did you come up with that idea? <laughs> I don't think we won. And the funniest thing from that <laughs> night was that somebody overheard someone in the ladies' room going, oh, no, I've got a cricket leg in between my teeth. <laughs> it was so, I, I, I was very open to letting the staff be creative. Yeah. No, we had fun. Yes, had you fun did. Night with crickets. You did have fun. It but was I, gross. That's one of the, the yeah. new things. Cricket flower cricket was flower. last but, year. But I saw again, a lot of you know, this is what's really interesting. Cricket flower started becoming trendy two or three years ago because i haven't been to the food show um at least in a year and the last time i really saw it was a couple years ago so it's like it's not totally a trend but things take so long to get to places right yeah food show will be next month and um i'll know some trends then for sure okay. well who would, do they respond to trends or you think they set the trends at the food show I think they do both. I think they, like Cricket Flower, maybe it, maybe there were two Cricket Flower companies, maybe there'll be 10. Yeah. So that would be a response. Yeah. Um, but for, to, to get a food product to market definitely takes time. So if someone's being really creative and they're going to come up with something new, and I don't know how many new things people can really come up with anymore, yeah. has to take a little bit of while. So... How do you get it in front of people and turn it into a trend? I mean, people have to really buy into it and really yeah. love it. And you have to have a huge marketing budget. Yeah. I don't know how many under the radar food trends there can, like, you know, you got to get it out there and then 
someone could snatch it and do it first, but it takes so long. Well, you know what I'd really like to see, and I'll, I'll just put this out there as a wish, is, is um, high-end Mexican food. In other words, you can get that some now, of though. these chefs from Mexico are doing incredible things. They're classically trained. And when people still, when you talk about Mexican food, and if you ask my grandma in Ohio, she'd say, oh, yeah, we eat Mexican food. I went to Del Taco. I went to Del Taco <laughs> last hey, week. I had nachos. And that's what they think about. And, well, but that's I, what your dip is. What dip? Your dip that you make in the microwave. That oh, you the have. nacho yeah, cheese the dip. Yeah, the nacho right. cheese dip. Right. That is definitely Americana. Right. You know, and but it is very cool. I mean, one of the best restaurants, which I would love to go to, is Pujol. And mm-hmm. I believe in Mexico City. Mm-hmm. And it's supposed to be amazing. Yeah. Amazing. And then we have, I think, Cala in uh, San Francisco, I believe, is um, upscale Mexican. But yeah, interesting flavors. Yeah. Interesting. And I I guess I would have to say too, is there are people that they're like, um, you know, these are in you know, these are indige- indigenous flavors to our cultures. Right. You know, this is our culture. And so like taking things that are tried and true and really simple and expanding on them as long as we remember the heritage of where they come. So right. I think heritage is still going to always be a driving force or the foundation of getting anywhere. Yeah. One well, I, you know what that just reminds me of that is Tony Bourdain. Just that whole sense right there yeah. of, of I was loved his show, watched it every week. And that was one of the things that I loved the most was watching people from other countries cook those dishes that had been passed on from their mom and their mom or their father and their grandfather. Um, and I don't know how you feel. I, I watched the last, I taped them all and I watched the last one that, um, that Tony Bourdain narrated. And then I moved on to the first one that he didn't narrate. And I got about five minutes in and turned it off and haven't watched, um, any of the other shows, um, since then. Um, yeah, he's fascinating. I, I posted um, a Twitter post yesterday, I think. Um, Eric Repair got the award this week for the best restaurant in the world for La Bernardine. Oh, wow. And he actually was on one of the morning shows and spoke about, yeah, very humbly, which was really lovely to see, about that award and how you know dedicated and how hard they work and all of that but he also talked about tony and yeah. their friendship and um very sad yeah no i'm just wondering you know all the the talk amongst all these producers in hollywood is we need to find the next tony bourdain and um right. so they're they're trying to start all these new cooking shows but right. um, it could be yeah it could yeah be there was no one like tony he no. was just and that guy. you know i think it's good there shouldn't be anybody no you know, maybe there's a gap to fill in what people are interested in, but I hope it's totally different. I hope right. it's in a different fashion, a different way. Right. I agree. I don't like yeah. when they try and do reboots yeah. and try and squeeze a, a, right. a round can't, thing can't into a square hole yeah. and right and make it like that. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that's all I got, Sandra. That's all I got today, too. Yeah. I think we covered a lot of territory. I think we need to go see what the garden looks like, because, yeah. man, you, I hope you're paying them well. They're doing oh, a man. ton of work out there. Aren't they? <laughs> Aren't they? <laughs> well, I know we've got some um, some really interesting and fun guests lined up for next week. 
We hope you will join us if you want to go to our website at thebikegoeson.com. You can also find us by going to the Radio Misfits Podcast Network and finding us there. Um, I, oh, on uh, Instagram, it's, tell me again, Bite, Bite Talk. Bite Talk. So at Bite Talk, and we will be posting uh, some of our episodes and pictures of some of our guests and what we were doing during the show on there as well. Uh, Facebook. Facebook, if you'd Facebook, like to find us there Bite as well. Goes on. Yeah. Yeah, and uh, we'd love to hear from you. Love to hear from you. Any ideas for uh, upcoming guests, please drop us a line. And we will see you next week.